0: In um, 1996, one of the largest consumer goods firms in the world was struggling to figure out how to sell a new product. And it wasn't because they didn't know how to sell products. As a matter of fact, they were experts on how to sell. This company uh, was responsible for Pringles potato chips, uh, Oil of Olay, Bounty paper towels, CoverGirl cosmetics, Dawn, Downey, and Duracell. They knew how to sell. The company had spent millions of dollars developing a spray that could remove bad smells from almost any fabric, but the researchers had no idea how to get people to buy it and they were on the brink of of failure. The spray had been created about three years earlier when a, a chemist was working on a substance called HPBCD. Now the chemist was a smoker And his clothes smelled like an ashtray, and every day he would go home, his wife would get on to him about the dangers of smoking. But on this day, he came home, and his wife greeted him at the door and kissed him and asked the question, did you quit smoking because I don't smell any smoke on you? So the next day, the chemist went back to the lab, and he started experimenting with HPBCD. He manufactured every awful odor that he could think of, wet dogs, cigars, sweaty socks, Chinese food, musty shirts, dirty towels, and something amazing happened. When he sprayed HPBCD. the smell was gone. So they spent millions of dollars perfecting the formula and finally produced a colorless odorless liquid so powerful that NASA began to use it to clean the interior of the shuttles after they returned from space. They were going to make billions. They just had to figure out how to market it. So they decided to call it Febreze. And they tested Febreze in a few markets by handing out samples and visiting customers at their house to see how it was working. And they visited hundreds of households without much fanfare. They weren't sure if it was working. It, the, 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 the visits weren't going great until their first big breakthrough came at the home of a park ranger from Phoenix, Arizona. Park ranger was in her late 20s. She lived by herself and her job was to trap animals that were coming out of the, uh, the desert. She caught coyotes, raccoons, the occasional mountain lion, and skunks. Lots and lots of skunks. And so the, the team went to her house, and they asked her how the, the sample product was working, and this is what the park ranger said. I'm going to read it to you. She said, I'm single, and I'd like to find someone to have kids with. But my love life is crippled because everything in my life smells like a skunk. My house, my truck, my clothing, my boots, my hands, my curtains, even my bed. I've tried all kinds of cures, but none of it worked. When I'm on a date, I'll start wondering, does he smell it? I went on four dates last year, she said, with a really nice guy, a guy I really liked, and I waited forever to invite him to my place, and eventually he came over, and I thought everything was going really well, and then the next day he said he wanted to take a break. The park ranger was now crying in this interview in her house, and she said to the two men who had stopped by, she said, I just want to thank you because this spray has changed my life. My friends can't smell it anymore. The skunk is gone. And by now, she was sobbing so hard that the men really didn't know what to do. And then the woman looked at the men and she said these words. She said, I feel so free. Now, I wanted to open with this story today because it's a great reminder that we have no idea the emotional physical and spiritual pain that people are facing all around us. Even today in this room, on the row that you're sitting on, there are people dealing with problems way deeper and bigger than just the problem that they're facing. And this story reminds us that what you think people need is usually not what they actually need. And how you think you're helping is probably not how you're actually helping. For, for this park ranger in Arizona, Febreze didn't just take away odor, took away loneliness. And if a bottle of spray can make someone feel free, just imagine what Jesus can do, right? Well, today is Make a Difference Sunday, and the purpose of today is to help you believe, because I think you need help believing you can make a difference. We want to help you believe today that you have something to offer. We want to help you believe today that you are the answer to someone's prayers, but not because I say so, but because God says so and we we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. If I asked you to give me a few examples of a time in your life or some times in your life where someone made a difference, someone made an impact, someone made an impression, there would be and maybe a few examples of some really big big acts. Like my parents got me a pony. Okay, that would be big. All right. But most of the stories would be really simple Really simple acts. The stories would be about times when somebody sat in a hospital waiting room with you. The the stories would be about a time when somebody helped you pack a moving truck. Come on. You know you love somebody when you're packing up a moving truck. Come on. Right? Right? It would be a story about a time when somebody said just the right thing at the right time. Or maybe it would be a story about when somebody didn't say anything and that was exactly the right thing to say. I think that we all struggle to believe that we can make a difference because we believe that we have to do something big to make a big difference. But that's, that's not true. We don't have time today, but if we had time, I could tell you all kinds of examples from the Bible of people who did something very unspectacular, but God took what they did and used it in a spectacular way. Like stories like the, the boy who had just like one value mill from Moby Dick. And he gave it to God, and God was able to feed 5,000 people, all because he was willing to give it up. Or maybe Joshua, who convinced a bunch of people to walk around a wall seven times with trumpets and glass jars. That's what, that was the instruction. And after they got done walking, the walls crumbled down because they kept walking Or Moses, who was willing to hold a stick up in the air, and because he held his stick up in the air, God made a body of water split from side to side just because he lifted a stick in the air. If you're waiting on a big moment to do something big, you'll probably miss it, because God takes seemingly insignificant moments and seemingly insignificant actions and uses them in significant ways. Here's what I I would say it like this. And when you do what you can do, God will do what only he can do. But you got to do what you can do. If you do what you can do, then God will do what only he can do. So today... We're going to look at a chapter from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks specifically about this idea of using the gifts, that's right I said gifts, you have gifts, that God has given you to make a difference. And let me just kind of spoil the the end for you. Uh, Paul is going to make a really strong argument that the best way to use the gifts that God has given you is to build God's church everybody say church. church because the best way to grow people is to grow the church the best way to build people is to build the church the best way to make people healthy is to build a healthy a healthy church so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 if you want to find that in your bible you can do that or you can find them on the sermon guide that you were handed When you walked in the doors today, go ahead and pull that out. And while you're finding that, let me explain to you um, what's going to happen happen at the end of service today. You probably noticed some some things when you were walking in, which by the way, totally random side note here. Can we give it up for the parking lot team? Are they not knocking it out of the park? (laughs) Got them orange vests on, them sticks. I mean, they're out there doing it. And, you know, you don't want to come to church to worship Jesus and then, you know, start cussing at people in the parking lot, right? And so they're out there to keep you saved, and uh, they're doing an awesome job, they're doing an awesome job. Um, so we we want to make it as easy as possible to, to take the step today to make a difference at Hope City Church. So when we dismiss you, you're going to go out and you're going to see six tents set up in the front parking lot. And these tents represent the teams at the church that you can be a part of. We've also listed those teams on the sermon guide that you have in front of you. I'm just going to give them to you real quick in case you don't have that. There are, there are five teams here at South Louisville that you can, you can go to their tent today and talk to them in alphabetical order. Facility and special projects. This would just be the team of people that handle lawn care, facility upkeep, uh, every time I break something, they fix it, all right? This is that team. Um, family ministry's another tent. Uh, this is exactly what it sounds like. You know, everything from, from babies to, to high schoolers and, and everything in between family ministry. First impressions is another tent. Check-in, greeters, parking lot security, all the people wearing those tuxedo shirts today that, that just 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 hit people with kindness right away. Prayer and care is another team. This would be the prayer team that prays for people. The care team who looks after people who are going through tough times. Hospitality team. Come on, how many people love that cup of coffee you get when you walk in? Anybody? That's, from, that's, that's people caring about you, all right? And then the last tent would be the worship tent, and that's, you know, media, band, and, and worship team. You don't have to be able to sing to be on the worship team because you could work a computer or, or, or something like that, okay? So those are five, but then we also have a tent set up specifically for the Shepherdsville location that's launching September 23rd. Pastor O and Megan, along with some of the people on their team, are out in the tent, and they are there to talk to anyone who wants to figure out how to make a difference in Bullitt County. So we're less than eight weeks away from launching the Shepherdsville campus, and so many of you have told us like, yeah, man, we're in, or we're thinking about it, and we've gone through the summer, but you, you have yet to take that step to figure out how you can make a difference and you can get involved there, and so we've set up a tent for you today specifically for you to go get questions answered and, and to maybe check a couple of boxes of some ways that you can join the team and, uh, and be a part of this Shepherdsville launch. So if you're here today and you wanna be a part of that team, you've been thinking about it, but you had some questions or you uh, just wanted more information, you can go to that tent. If you're a guest here, if this is your first or second time and you don't know a lot of information about this, but you live in that Bullitt County area, go to the tent and they'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and, and just anybody and everybody that would say, hey, we wanna be, uh, we wanna help this Shepherdsville thing get going, then their team would love to to, to talk to you out there. So those are the six tents, and so today at the end of the sermon, you will be able to go out into the front parking lot. Listen, don't, don't go to your car and leave, okay? Go out to the tent and spend some time talking to the people out there about the teams and the ways you can make a difference, uh, and hopefully by the end of the sermon, you will want to do that, okay? All right, now there are 32 verses in chapter four of Ephesians, and we're only going to read three of them today, Okay? Uh, But we're gonna start with the very first verse. So if you have that, it's on your sermon guide or it's on your Bible, then let's go ahead and start with verse one, okay? Here's what it says, verse one. Therefore I, the I there is the Apostle Paul, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Everybody say called Calling is not a word that we use much anymore. Uh, When I was growing up in church, we used it all the time. Depending on your church background, maybe you are familiar with that word. We used to say it a lot. You would hear people say, I feel called to preach or I feel called to be a pastor, but it's not as common. We would probably use uh, words like purpose, destiny, passion, uh, things like that, but calling is a very important word. If you look it up, the definition of calling is the characteristic cry of a female cat in heat true. But it also means a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by conviction or divine influence. In other words, calling is those spiritual impulses and convictions that you have, and you don't really know why you have them, but you have them. It's calling. So Paul starts out his letter by saying, if you will pay attention Everybody in the room, if you'll pay attention, God will give you spiritual impulses and conviction, and it's the calling that God has on your life. And it's not just for pastors or preachers or singers, by the way. It's for everyone who follows Jesus. But, he says, Paul, you can't separate the life that you live and the calling on your life. So in other words, Paul says, you don't get to say, well, I'm gonna live this way, but I want God to use my life in this way. Paul says, you don't get to do that. He says, live your life in such a way that when people hear what you're called to, that they would say like, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. Because I've I've watched their life. Now, some of y'all in here, y'all get ratted out and you don't even know it. Because I'll randomly run into people who will connect the dots and they'll say, oh wait, you're the, uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think uh, you know one of my friends or, you know, or whatever it is. Or I'll say, oh, I think I know you. I met you at a wedding or a funeral or something like that. And and I will let somebody know one of your friends that I'm your pastor. And they will look real surprised. Like they go to church. They have a pastor, right? And, and, And Paul's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't live your life one way and then expect God to use your life in another way. God wants to use your life in a great way, so live your life in a great way is what he's saying. And some of us in the room are doing and struggling with things that are not necessarily sinful, but they are below the standards and the potential that God has for your life. I'm not going to send you to hell, but they are so much less than the calling that God has on Your life, and Paul says, live a life worthy up to the calling that God has. So, point number one, Paul says, You have a calling. Everyone in the room who follows Jesus has a calling. God created you, every person in this room, God created you with certain spiritual impulses and convictions. And while you think that everyone else notices what you notice or is bothered by what you're bothered by, they're not. Because that's the way God made you. And if God made you that way, guess what? You are perfectly made. So let's just take a break. Why don't you turn to the person you're sitting beside right now? Just turn turn to them and 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 tell them, I have a calling. Come on, tell them. Say, I have a calling. Okay, now turn to your second choice, the person you didn't want to talk to, turn to them and, and, and tell them. Tell them you have a calling. You have a calling. I have a calling, you have a calling. No offense, I didn't talk to you first. All right. So point number one, Paul says you have a calling. Let's go to, let's go to skip down to verse seven. Skip down to verse seven. Here we go, Ephesians seven, 4, 7. However, so you have a calling. However, he has given each one of us, God he's talking about, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So point number one is that you're called. But point number two, Paul says, that God has given you a special gift. So a calling is what you're compelled to do, but your gift is what God has given you for you to be able to do what you're compelled to do. Does that make sense to everybody? So this is a safe place. Let me just ask you a question. How many people in here, you are the people who take back gifts that you get that you don't like? You take them back to the store. Come on, let me see your hand. Anybody, anybody? Me and about four people. I'm one of those, okay? No worries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you take them back. It's like, "Mm, I don't want to ask for the receipt, but uh, I could get a gift card. All right, so (laughs) at some places, you can take it back, get a gift card, buy a restaurant gift card, everybody wins. So with God, with God, there's no gift take backs, right? There's no gift take backs. You don't get to trade. Because God made you perfect for something. You may have a problem with the way God made you, you gotta take that with God, but God feels like it is the perfect fit for your life. And if you spend your whole life trying to do something and be something that he didn't create you to do or be, you will stay so frustrated because you're not using your gift, you're trying to copy somebody else's gift. But let me show you one more thing about this verse. I love, I love this. Is, is in the Greek, the word for gift, in the verse he's given a special gift in the, in, the, in the Greek, that word is actually grace. So Paul says that God has given each of us a special grace. Now, we know that grace is undeserved divine assistance. That's why we talk about grace in church. We sing amazing grace. What we're saying is that it's amazing that I didn't deserve to be saved, but God uh, gave me divine assistance. He, he saved me because I couldn't save myself and that is amazing grace. So we know that grace is divine assistance. So Paul says that everybody in the room has a special grace, an area of your life where you get divine assistance that other people don't get in that area like you get it. And you may not even know that it's divine assistance because you just assume that it's normal, but it's not normal, It's a special grace, divine assistance, for the calling that God has on your life. Can I give you a couple of examples? Some of you in the room don't realize you have a grace for loving and helping people. When other people get burned out or frustrated, you still see the best in people. I I love those people. I'm not one of those people, but I love those people. Some of you in here, when everybody else is ready to go to bed, you still have a living room full of people, all right? That, that, that is a grace that you have, a gift that you have. Some of you have a grace for sharing your faith, divine assistance. Like, you can just share your faith. Every hope story, it's like, I ran into this person. Like, I'm coming to church, right? Where other people get anxiety, you come alive because you have a gift. Some of you are so skilled at building things and fixing things. And you think it's just because your dad was good at it, and so your dad showed you how to do it, but it's a gift. It's a grace. And when other people wonder how you stay at it or you don't quit when a project is hard, it's because it doesn't feel as hard to you because you have a special grace for it. It is harder to them. And there are things that God has given them a grace for that you don't have a grace for, and you think, man, that's really hard, but it's not hard for them, hard as hard for them, because they have divine assistance. Let me give you one more example, and this would be an example for my life, is that God has given me a grace, a divine assistance, to speak in front of groups of people. A lot of you... You'll, you'll say to me, like, I don't know how you get up there and talk in front of all those people. Honestly, I don't know how you don't, okay? I, I love it, okay? I love it. And so, and so I, I understand that that's not normal. It took me a while to understand that. I couldn't figure out why everybody in my classes in school, like, they would do their homework. I would try to just make it up with a presentation, right? And so I do not understand. Why, why won't you just get up in front of people? I don't understand that, but it is a special grace for my life, because God called me to preach. So he gave me a calling, but then he gave me the gift to be able to fulfill the calling. God would not have called me to preach, but then not given me the gifts to be able to preach. Guys, I say, I'm gonna call Jason to preach, but I'm gonna make him terrified to be in front of people. God doesn't do that, because God makes it a perfect fit, right? So God gives us the, the, the gifts that we need to live out our calling. So point number one, you have a calling. Point number two, God has given you gifts, whether you have realized them yet or not, to live out your calling. But let's go one more. Come on, look at one more verse, verse 16, Ephesians 4, 16. God, he makes the whole body, body here is the church body. If you read if you, the context of the chapter, he's calling the, the church a body, okay, fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, this is my favorite part. Paul says that God has a calling on each person's life, then he gives them the gifts they need to live out their calling, but he doesn't stop there. You don't just have a bunch of individual called gifted people running around, right? He brings them together in the form of a church. And he brings every piece together like, like a puzzle maker, and it's a perfect fit. So God takes called people that he gifted, and he forms them together like a church. That means that it's not an accident that you're here. That means that it's not a coincidence that you're here. Some of y'all drive 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes to get here. And your friends are like, why do you do that? You're like, I don't know, man, I just gotta be there. It's because God has perfectly fit you for this place, and he wants to use the gifts that he's given you in order for this church to be what this church is supposed to be. That also means that the people who aren't here are not the people that are the fit for what God's called us to do here. That's why I'm not opposed to having lots of churches everywhere. Some people are like, oh, there's too many churches. No, God has a calling for them and there are people with a fit that fit there to accomplish what God wants them to do, but God has that for Hope City Church too. So you're not gonna get me to be like bashing other churches. Like some of y'all sometimes will start a conversation like, oh, what about, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going there. Because God has a calling for that church. And he brings the people together. And so there have been times where people are like, hey, I love you, thank you, this is a great church, but I really feel like I need to be over there. And as much as it breaks our hearts sometimes, we're like, okay, maybe God is putting something together there. And if God has called this church to do something, he will bring the pieces that we need in order for us to do it. Which also means that if the pieces aren't here, then we're probably not called to do it. Which means we gotta say no sometimes. And we need to say yes when we say yes. So it's not an accident you're here. And God doesn't just bring takers to a church. He brings givers. Not just, I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about giving of yourself, using the gifts and the calling that God has on your life. You are a part of a church because God wants to use you, according to this, to build the church. So in order for the church to be healthy and growing, we can't have just a few people using their gift. Oh, I just love it when Andrea sings. Oh, I love it when David sings. I love it when Jason speaks. I love it when Joe speaks. That's awesome. Thank you. That's very kind of you. But we need everyone to use their gifts. And that's what Paul said. Paul says, as each part uses your special gift. I don't care what your mom or dad said, you are special, okay? (laughs) You are special. You have a special gift inside of you. I need you. You need me. The people on your road need you. You need them. And people who are not here yet need you and what you have to offer. And when every part uses their gift to live out their calling and God brings the perfect combination of gifts and callings together, people grow because the church grows. People get healthy because the church gets healthy. People are built up because the church is built up. You with me? Okay, so point number one, Paul says everybody has a calling. Point number two, that everybody has gifts to live out their calling. And point number three is that God brings the right people to the right church at the right time so that the church is healthy and growing. Now, let me just bring up one thing that has always bothered me about these verses. Maybe you don't even care, but I just need to work through something for me, okay? That, that every time I've read these verses, I've been in church my whole life, and I've heard pastors preach messages like this, Before and 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 I would always hear the pastors talk about using your gifts and then ask me to join a team like we're asking you to do today. And I would always think in my head, okay, there's only like five options. There's five tents. Okay, so you're telling me to live out my calling. So you're saying my calling either has to be parking lot greeter, check in, (laughs) nursery. That's all I get to do. Like that's my calling. No. Surely God has more purposes for people's lives than five categories. And by the way, the answer is yes, of course, He does. Some of you are called to business. Some of you are called to parenting, research, teaching, medicine, ministry. The options are endless. But, but, every Christian is called to build the church. You don't get to be a Christian and not be called to build the church. So in instances where your calling doesn't fit perfectly into your, you know, your, your, your gift, it doesn't fit perfectly into the church, you got to step back and you have to figure out how your gift can help build the church. And the task that you've been assigned or the place that you volunteer or the thing that you do during the week or that you do on a Sunday is just an excuse to be able to use your gift. So it's not that you're called to parking lot, it's that the parking lot gives you a place to use your gift. It's not that you're called to check-in, God's plans are bigger than that, but check-in gives you a chance to use your gift. You're, You're gifted with hospitality and encouragement, so it's like, wow, just give me a job where I can use hospitality and encouragement. You're not necessarily called to lead a small group, but you are called to teach your prayer and leading a group gives you a chance to teach some and pray for people, intercessory prayer. So don't just think through the lens of five-tenths, okay? Ask yourself instead, how can I use my gifts to help build the church? How can I use my gifts? For example, God didn't give you, businessman or woman, a six-figure salary to buy another boat. He resourced you so that you could help build the church. He gave divine assistance to you to be able to resource the local church. Another example is we have people in our church who are incredibly gifted in accounting and finance. They get, like, geeked out, excited about Excel spreadsheets. Some of you are like, that is a divine grace, right? And so they volunteer their services. While other churches are paying hundreds and thousands of dollars a month to do the accounting For a church, we have people who volunteer their time and their services to make sure all the numbers add up so that we're accountable and good stewards of what you're giving and God has given us. They do it for free because they want to build the church. They're using their gift and their calling. We had three adults in the church take time off of work to take our students to the youth camp that our students go to. And it's not that they're necessarily called to be youth camp counselors, but camp gave them an opportunity to use their gift to be able to make a difference in students' life. And I, I love it. I actually got a text on Thursday because camp started on Tuesday. Uh, all three adults were in knee braces. I mean, it wore them out. It wore them out. But they were willing to lay their body on the line, not get paid so that they could make a difference. So as you think about the things that you're gifted to do, the things that you enjoy to do, the things that these impulses and convictions that God gives you, the question that I would have for you is, are you using them for things that have eternal value? Are are the investments that you're making, are the jobs that you're doing, are the services that you're providing, how much of those are making an eternal value? I love to coach my daughter's soccer team. I love it, I love it. I get to use my teaching gift, right? And so I I get to teach soccer and, 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 and be with, and I love it. But if all we do is win games, but we don't win people to Jesus, it doesn't have any eternal value. So we coach soccer, but we also pray that God would use soccer to help us reach people. And guess what? We're launching a Shepherdsville campus. So we're about to start doing something that has eternal value. Maybe you've got gifts and talents and you could win awards, but if all you do is win awards, but you don't win people to Jesus because souls last forever. You have all these resources and all this money and you're buying things and that's awesome. I would never tell you not to make a lot of money. But as you look at how you're spending it and using it it doesn't have any eternal value because you can, you can get things, but are you getting people to heaven? Eternal value. So what's the next step? Here, here's what I would say. I'm going to wrap this up. Some, a lot of you are probably sitting here going like, okay, yes, I'm in. Eternal value. Let's do it. Gifts calling God. I just have no idea what they are. Well, it's, it's a lot, it, it, it's not a lot more. It's more complex than this, but let me give you three simple questions. Number one, what are you good at? What do other people keep telling you you're good at? They're like, I don't know how you do that. And you're like, well, it's not even hard. I don't know what you're talking about. It is hard, just not for you because you have a special grace for it, okay? So what are you good at? Here's another question. What do you enjoy? God is not calling you to do something that you despise. And if he is, he'll change your heart, Okay? But it's not this like, God's gonna make you do something you hate. He will either call you to something else or he'll change your heart for what it is that you hate. And then the third question I would say is, where, where does your church need you? Now that's question number three. Because a lot of you guys will say, hey, wherever you need me, but you're not good at it and you don't enjoy it. And so you quit in four weeks because... You said whatever you need, but then you don't, you're not good at it and you don't enjoy it. So start with what you're good at. Go next to what you enjoy doing. And then maybe we could find a spot where it also fits with what the church needs. Every person in this room today is a perfect fit for what God is calling Hope City Church to do. Every person. Every person. So I want to end by telling you a story about George Washington Carver. Carver was born in 1864 near the end of the Civil War. He was orphaned as a baby and raised by his owners, Moses and Susan Carver. He grew up to be a world-famous agriculturalist. And according to his biography, he would begin each day with a prayer that God would reveal the secrets of the universe to him. George Washington Carver was very curious. Every day he would pray, God, will you show me the secrets of the universe? I want to know how it works. He'd pray that prayer every day. In his biography, um, he he said that one day he felt like God answered him. And that God answered him back and said, you're not big enough to know the secrets of my universe, but I'll show you the secrets to the peanut." His prayer and God's response launched him into a lifetime of discovery. Some people say he locked himself in his basement for two weeks after he heard from God. And in his lifetime, Carver discovered over 300 uses for the peanut, including all kinds of food, oil, paint, ink, soap, shampoo, facial cream, plastics, and all kinds of other stuff. Over 300 uses for the peanut. Peanut. Because God said, I'll show you. Now, here's my thought. If God can create 300 uses for the peanut, just imagine how many different ways he wants to use your life. Come on, 300 (laughs) for the peanut? What in the world could God do through you? How in the world could God use you if you'll let Him? God will use your life to make a difference. And if you'll do what you can do, then God will take what you do and He'll do what only He can do. I hope that you're in. Let's pray.